0: MSW Media. So, Renato, now that Trump has been indicted, is he going to be like any other defendant? Uh, uh,
1: it's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst.
0: And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst.
1: And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet.
0: So, Renato, just before we start, full disclosure to our (laughs) listeners, in case they watch this whole pod through and notice that there's... um, a Bollywood costume t- change that uh, we actually recorded this last Tuesday, and our first segment has been overcome by events. And so we are redoing the first segment.
1: That's an understatement. Yeah. I mean, what an event, right? Uh, the former president is yeah. indicted. I think that uh, merited us getting up early and redoing this whole thing so we could get a super up to date podcast.
0: Sure. So, I think it's fair to say that this took everyone by surprise yesterday. We were expecting this grand jury to basically take a vacation uh and that we were going to be waiting for another few weeks at least. Um and Alvin Bragg got the last laugh. Uh he <laughs> he <laughs> um he's his office has announced that they are indicting Trump. It's under seal. Negotiations are underway for Trump to surrender himself to New York. And I believe that right now it looks like we expect for him to be arraigned on Tuesday. And that's when we will learn what the precise charges are.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, one thing that I was asked that I don't have a good answer to, so we could, that could probably fit into the, it's complicated title here is, why Bragg did what he did. Um, it's very unusual. Um, usually there's no like cloak and dagger uh, stuff regarding the exact date of an indictment, unless the defendant has no idea there's an indictment, in which case it's all super secret. But, you know, this sort of thing where they say they're taking the month off and then suddenly there's an indictment two days later is unusual. I think it may have been have been motivated by security concerns. I mean, Bragg mm-hmm. had threats and there was like some white powder sent to him. Uh, they may have been concerned about uh, security for the grand jury, uh, or the grand jury being hassled, and this was a way of getting around that,
0: getting them out of town. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it certainly caught it certainly caught journalists by surprise. I think you and I both saw that firsthand, right, Tan, Right? Yeah,
0: I think uh, we had heard reporting that there was an increased security presence, and kind of assumed that maybe there had been another bomb threat or something like that, um, but. Yeah, I think your theory makes sense. Um, and it is one of the ways to what to the question that we asked at the beginning that this is um that Trump is not an ordinary defendant. Um, on the other hand, you know, he is gonna be booked like any person. Um, he'll be fingerprinted, he'll get his mugshot taken. Um, I only learned yesterday that New York does not make mugshots public. So, um, You'll have to wait for that to be on your tote bag or whatever you're waiting to do with it. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I mean, don't you think Trump wants the, the mugshot to be public? I mean, he there's this thing in which he relished the perp walk. Right? I mean, I think he wants to be in handcuffs. He wants to be, perse- you know, in his mind, persecuted. I think this is all theater for him.
0: Well, I, I think it might have been in theory, but I also think at a deep level, he was absolutely terrified of being indicted. This is a man who really places a lot of weight on perception, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if he truly believes that he's in danger of being convicted. I don't know if he cares about that aspect of it. But we know from back in 2016, um, you know, with Hillary under investigation, trying to get Biden to be under investigation in, in Ukraine, like, and the panic that he had when he found out that you know, they were um, investigating Russia and he wanted Comey to announce to the public that he himself was not under investigation. He places a lot of like this cloud of suspicion he thinks is, I don't know if he perceives it as weakness or automatic imputation of guilt. Um, And I think that being charged at some level, I think he believes it reflects, I mean, that, that it impacts his perception, if nothing else. And I think that's why he was doing everything he could to try to derail it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, one thing I will say, you know, I was uh, responding on Twitter to Sarah Cooper, who is yeah. one of the funniest people uh, in the world. She's done mm-hmm. and did those uh, funny videos, uh, uh, lip syncing Trump. Um, and, you know, she was like, hey, is Trump, re- Trump's really not still not being held accountable with anything. And I'm like, well, being indicted uh particularly when you're under federal investigation and state investigation for other crimes is actually there's there's definitely some serious um uh you know se- serious pro- downside with that and and the analogy i drew was to the, somebody having cancer I, and that's actually the analogy that i use like if i'm representing a client um for the first time like they just got indicted or they FBI just visited their office or their home and they suddenly realize they're under you know criminal investigation I what I usually try to explain to them is that the process um is very grueling it's it can be it can just overwhelm and devastate a person um I've had clients who've thought about committing suicide before um it is just a very difficult experience and the process of it is so challenging for most people that you kind of, it's life altering and you lose part of yourself in the process. Like, I mean, it it is very, very difficult uh for most people. Now, Donald Trump's not, and that's why it's complicated. I suppose he's not your ordinary person. I, I get that he's, this maybe have some political upside for him. I don't know. He can raise some money off of it, but I think he is still a human being and the immense pressure and anxiety that comes with standing trial and being under indictment and being in judgment by others, I think uh, it, it, it would affect anyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing for Trump is he's now entering an arena where he no longer has control, right? And this gets to a piece I wrote earlier this week about how Trump exploits information vacuums. And he's very good in that space. Um, You know, he sort of engages in guerrilla warfare, information warfare, and he can put out narratives and, um, you know, the the justice system can't respond, or there's ways in which it can't be contradicted. Once the wheels of justice start turning, then he's He's in a rule-based framework, right? Like he has to speak through his lawyers. They have to file things. Um, there are you know, rulings that come down from a judge. And I think we saw this play out in the Mar-a-Lago thing. I mean, it was sort of a a, we- a weird, wacky attempt to derail things, but in the end, he did get some delay. But in the end, it didn't really work out the way that he wanted it to. Um in in many ways, and more information came out. That was actually very damning to him, whereas if he had just kept his mouth shut or not even kept his mouth shut, but just had not pushed the envelope in that way, he actually might have had more space to, like, make his wacky claims or whatever without pushback. Does that make sense what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a good point in that the, you know, ultimately when you are under indictment, um, you are part of a system and there are very good things about it. Actually, there's a whole, a slew of protections that are built into the process to help defendants, um, ensure that they have a fair trial, for example. Right. But there is a process there and Mm -hmm. facts matter and your behavior matters. And, you know, I, I, you know i've the i get all sorts of questions from people in trump's position and if they're if i'm representing them and you know a lot i have to there's a lot of things they can't do and there's a lot of things they can't say and they have it, it essentially everything that they do in their life suddenly has to get run run through their criminal defense attorney um because it can have an impact on their case for most people it's an overriding concern so suddenly all their business decisions, their travel decisions, where they put their money, like who they, you know, oh, can I, can I, um, help my girlfriend out with her rent? Can I, um, you know, uh, still participate in this new business I was planning to launch? Whatever it might be, suddenly everything is viewed through the lens of the criminal case. Now, you know, Trump can try to ignore that. He could try to play by his own rules. But I think, you know, to, to go to the point you were just making, Asha, you know, one, I think, good analogy is Roger Stone, uh, who obviously close associate of Trump's, but is also an outside the box human being, right, Um, who likes to break it, break the rules, make his own rules, do crazy and wacky things. And he tried making a circus out of his whole trial and, you know, tried to make all these public statements and try to threaten the judge and do all of this. And in the end of the day, none of that really mattered. And he ended up having to go to trial Mm -hmm. and he was convicted. Um, I don't know what the outcome will be here, but one thing I do know for sure is, you know, uh, a judge is likely not going to have patience for shenanigans. And in the end of the day, the legal arguments uh, are what's going to matter, not all of the theater.
0: I haven't been on, you know, constantly since last night, but I don't think that Trump has Pravdad since last night or since yesterday before the indictment. I now call it Pravda because I won't say truth. (laughs)
1: I don't know if he's truth. I I don't I don't I don't look I, I only see him when people post it elsewhere, right?
0: Yeah, um, I'm not on that platform. But I mean I will I, say I'm hoping I'm just wondering if at some like I don't know if like his lawyers have, you know, duct tape mittens on him or something, <laughs> um, or you know, taken away his phone. Um, but you have to imagine that they're like, dude, man, this is serious. Like you you cannot be tweeting. Stuff.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine that they're going to be able to accomplish that, which makes him such a difficult client. I mean, it's so different than a typical case. I mean, first of all, I mean, he—it's fair to say he doesn't have a legal team up to this task of trying to defend multiple indictments and or oh, p- potentially multiple indictments, likely multiple indictments, but certainly multiple uh, criminal investigations, and now one indictment. But separate from that, I mean, you know, usually um, you would have all of that button down you'd have the defendant saying nothing the only statement would be through his attorneys and we had even the night of the indictment right a, a quote statement by trump you know like the statement from the 45th president sort of thing you know blasting brag and so yeah i i think that, i think that's going to happen and it'll be interesting to see whether it has an impact in this trial i mean i think you know one thing is for certain um You know, he is already using this and is focused on how it helps him in the Republican primary and it very well may help him there.
0: You know, I think that that's another spin that we need to examine critically. You know, Trump likes to say things and make them true in the process of saying it. Right. Like I remember before the 2020 election, I was like, don't accept the premise and don't, you know create the outcome that he wants by buying into what what he's doing. Um, I think that there, to be honest, I mean, there might be a, like, you know, this 20 to 30% diehard magas, but I think most people, you know, I like my presidential candidates when they're not indicted. I think that's really how most people feel. Um, and it's embarrassing, I think, to have, you know, a, person accused like unless you are absolutely you know convinced of his innocence i think that this will be damaging to him and i think that's partly why he's so terrified about it this is only by the way the first of many to come in my opinion you know the the ball is rolling or whatever the snowball has started rolling and gaining momentum um i don't know what metaphor i'm using anymore (laughs) but um you know the Florida, the Mar-a-Lago, the January sixth, and I mean, as you get closer and closer, uh, if he's under, you know, if 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 he's been charged in three different jurisdictions, um, you know, for four different sets of crimes, then that's a problem. And I think you also mentioned the logistical problems in that great political piece that you put out yesterday.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I, I did talk about that in that column. So I mean, one thing that I have um, some experience with is defending clients who are facing uh, criminal charges in multiple states, and also just defending clients who have criminal investigations in multiple jurisdictions. And it is really, 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 really hard. Um, it's harder than you might think because, so, you know, a prosecutor, let's say Alvin Bragg in this case, him and the CMR can be laser focused on getting a conviction. I mean, their entire consideration is will this motion, will this argument, will this piece of evidence help me get a conviction in this case? The defense in Trump's case won't be able to be focused on getting a win in that case, which often requires you to be very aggressive and agile and doing all sorts of uh, shenanigans on your side and the defense side to get a win. Um, instead, they're going to have to be playing a kind of 3D chess. I mean, what you have to do if you have multiple cases that you're facing is you have to consider for every statement you make, motions you file, thing you do, you have to consider how does this impact all these other cases at the same time. And it can have a significant impact. I mean, the timing of cases, like you want to have your weak cases go first. If you have a conviction in one case, that could be used against you. In the other cases, it could preclude you from testifying. If you get anything you say in the first case, uh, anything you file, uh, whether it's, um, you know, certainly any of his words, Trump's words can be used against him. But even the filings, if you take an inconsistent position in case two or three, the judges are going to uh, certainly point out the fact that you actually took the opposite position previously. It's just very hard. And usually when I have clients in that situation, I'm trying to resolve cases i'm trying to do everything i can to get it down to the fronts that really matter and you often have to essentially concede certain cases because you just can't defend everything at once and so i do think trump is in a very bad spot and he's he's in a much worse place than he was legally um the the you know yesterday the day before there you know the the morning before the indictment um, even regardless, even if he wins the, the Manhattan case, I think he's still a loser from a, a legal perspective.
0: Yeah. And you actually think this is the weakest of all the cases. And so does it it sounds like from what you are saying, it actually is good that it goes first um, from a prosecutor's point of view.
1: That's right. However, I mean, so it's an interesting thing. I mean, R. Kelly was in a situ- similar situation where the New York feds charged him in Brooklyn um, with a criminal case that was very bizarre. It was like a re They made it a Rico case. It was just a very, uh, they, they had to charge it in a bizarre way to get tr- venue in New York for crimes that occurred in like California and Illinois and elsewhere. And it, it was a head scratcher case, but they won anyway. I mean, they went first and they won anyway, but he was facing like four other criminal cases at the same time. And he was just kind of boxed in. Uh, I think for Trump, you know, if, if you're on Trump's legal team, you have to think to yourself, well, this is the weakest case, but there, and be, because of that, there's all sorts of interesting challenges that we could bring, like some of the ones, Asha, that you and I've talked about in prior episodes, mm-hmm. right? We talked about potential preemption and, you know, there's these, you know, novel theories. I mean, they could bring all sorts of legal arguments and potentially appeal this before trial and stretch out that case, but. If they, let's say are indicted in the Mar-a-Lago case or in Fulton County or so on, they don't want to, those cases might speed the trial comparatively. So usually what you do is if you're the defense is you have this, this two-step you play where in the one case that you, you want to go slow, you're like, Oh, there's so much discovery and we need more time to review it. And you file a hundred motions. And in the other case, you're like, I want my speedy trial, right? Uh, in a different state. So uh, it, it's an interesting thing. I think he's going to end up delaying everywhere um which maybe may in his in in he his perceived political uh situa- you know maybe in his political advantage but i don't think is necessarily the smartest legal strategy but that's not what his lawyers are usually known for
0: yeah and you know it'll be really interesting to see what the how the charges are framed um when they come out in terms of you know using what comes out in the Manhattan case, and other cases, I mean, this was so, sort of the OG, you know, of attempt to cheat in the election, right? And I, I'm wondering, can that be used later by Fani? Like, in other words, if he is convicted, right, of let's uh, let's say this comes out as conspiracy to commit an election campaign finan- uh, finance violation. Um, Can that be relevant? Like you've already you already tried to you you already engaged in a conspiracy to to cheat in this other election so that you could mislead voters, et cetera, et cetera. Does that become relevant in the. Fulton County case?
1: Well, it's 100% relevant if he takes the stand, even if he gets convicted of the misdemeanor because it's a misdemeanor that involves dishonesty. So at least under the federal rules, I'm not an expert on the Georgia uh, uh, rules of evidence, but federal rules evidence, he would be that, that would be permitted for impeachment purposes, which would essentially mean that he couldn't take the stand. And it's a situation, by the way, that R. Kelly was in, situation that Avenatti was in, Um, situation, Mm. uh, Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, like a lot of defendants are in a situation where once you have one conviction, you basically can never take the stand in a subsequent case. And that can matter. I mean, in R. Kelly's federal case in Chicago, one of his co-defendants got off completely. Um, and other, others, there was a number of charges that were not guilty verdicts in that case. But R. Kelly couldn't take the stand without question, right? Because the first question would be, you're actually convicted of running a criminal enterprise to, you know, abuse children, right? So it would have just been devastating for him. And so I do think, um, it would, it would hand, handcuffed him completely, um, in that proceeding.
0: Yeah. Outside of that, is it can it come in in any way you think or no?
1: No, it couldn't come in otherwise, um, um, unless it was like a, you There has to be a motion under uh, rule. Of, well, at least the federal rules. It's Rule four hundred four B to let in a prior bad act. Um, and yeah. there's very. It has to come in not for it's, it's truth, very strange. But yeah, but for some other purpose. But 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 just for for what it's worth, I mean. Any, piece, you know, there there can be pieces of what he said and what he did that can come in, and all of that. That's that's the problem for him is that you know, the what, if you're a prosecutor in Fulton County, you're reading these transcripts and mining them for nuggets. Um, you're looking for little things that you could pull out that move the ball forward for you in ways that that all, you and I can't even anticipate because. We're not that much in the weeds um, in in the uh, in the legal proceedings there, and they'll do the same thing with legal positions they'll be you know telling that you know using all of that to tell the judge well, hey, you know Trump said this and that about uh, discovery in that case or whatever the issue is so one thing I do think is worth talking about asha is this this business about the number of counts um, so oh, CNN yeah, had a yeah, report. Yeah. That he's facing like 30 something counts. Um, we don't 34. know as of the time of this recording that may be outdated by the time you're listening to this. I don't know how much it matters. I think this discussion is still fascinating because supposedly he's facing 30 something counts and people are like, okay, does that mean that he's buried? Is that super serious? And the answer is actually no. Um, and I'm just, we're going to get very real here. Um, is that, you know, the number of counts in a case really. Does not directly correlate with the seriousness of the case because prosecutors can do all sorts of things to turn one crime into many different counts, um, and it happens on a fairly regular basis. Um, I did not, re- I never did this um, myself. In fact, I was very big when I was prosecutor and having my cases very streamlined and very narrow. Um, but there's a lot of prosecutors who will take, let's say you know, one pattern of bribery. Like let's say somebody, you know, shakes down somebody for a bribes. So, well, what they'll do is they'll take every payment, every check that's that's written as part of that and make it a separate count. Does that mean it's mm-hmm. more serious? Like it's actually just one shakedown. But like if you turn every check into a separate thing and then what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well every check was, you know, a wire fraud and a bank fraud or something, you know, or or something like that. So they'll they'll take the same check and they'll charge it three different ways. But like You know, really, you could have just chosen three of the checks at random and put them in because ultimately the jury either is convinced he's a fraudster or not or convinced it's bribery or not. But what they'll they'll do is sort of turn it into more than than that. And the theory is that it's hard for and I think it's right that it's this part is right, is that it's hard for a jury to 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 check off on their verdict form, not guilty like 33 times in a row.
0: Yeah, this feels like a psychological tactic in a way. And it's also, I mean, it it impacts um, the perception of the public, right? I mean, imagine this indictment unsealed on Tuesday and it's like Trump charged with 34 counts of, you know, whatever, whatever, um, or 15 counts of this and, you know, 14 counts of that. Um, That is psychologically cognitively it makes it seem like he was doing a lot of criming
1: 100 and that and that's why it's done that way um it, it can backfire for prosecutors by the way if you have very little evidence like I, and what i mean by very little evidence is sometimes your evidence is super rock solid but there's just two witnesses there's like the guy who is bribed and there's the recording or something you know it's just very you have three three you know, actual exhibits in your case, right? Or something like that. Hey, we just got the drugs. Like we got the drugs and the, you know, the confession or something. But but, you know, it's like, wow, there's 33 counts and we were only here for two days, right? It seems it can seem incongruent. There's lots of psychological things you have to take into account in terms of how it actually plays out. But yeah, I mean this is a case that was going to be complicated even if there was just one count, right? Because of and we've been discussing this for weeks, right? All the, the ways in which, you know, you're all the various things you're going to have to prove up in order to get to a felony conviction here. And so uh, having the number of counts uh, matches that and like you said, adds to the weight of it. But, I, you know, just for our listeners who are super savvy, they're savvy enough to want to listen to a podcast for a long time, um, to understand this in a complicated way um, doesn't, doesn't impact the sentence. Um, generally doesn't impact, um, you know, the, it doesn't, it, it doesn't indicate seriousness. So
0: the counts don't impact the
1: sentence. No, I mean, the crime impacts the sentence. In other words, you know, for example, if you're charged with, if you're convicted or in char- if you're charged and convicted of a particular type of crime, um, that does impact the sentence. But usually, um, you know, it doesn't impact the sentence if you're convicted of, let's say, five counts of fraud versus one.
0: Is that, is that if it's arising out of the same set of facts? Like, I would think if, like, I would think that somebody who bribed one person, even, you know, and it like maybe they pay them 10 checks or whatever, and you're saying, okay, those are really the same crime. But if they bribe one person and then also bribe another person, that should be more serious than bribing just the one person. And if that was all included in the same count.
1: Right. So you could charge, you can have a count that's like scheme to defraud. And the scheme to defraud is that Asha Rangappa defrauded, you know, a whole host of people, you know, in as part of her fraud. You know,
0: Fox News is going to cut that and like air it
1: somewhere. Oh, no. Um, probably. <laughs> and some people on the, on the internet, right. Uh, on, on Twitter. Right. Yeah. So, but, but you get the idea. Okay. We'll make it pancake. So pancake, you know, defrauds 14 different people as part of his fraud scheme. Um, you can have that in one count and often you do, I mean, you'll have, in fact, like in federal, I mean, I, cause I'm, uh, I don't know New York law as well in federal sentencing. Um, you can have pancake with 14, uh, You know, victims, 140 victims. And so the, the modifier and the sentencing is number of victims, loss I amount, see. like okay. what's the total loss? It's not how mm-hmm. many counts. And the reason it's done that way specifically and purposely is to prevent prosecutors from playing games. They do yeah. not want sentencing controlled by prosecutors. And so, by the way, that also can sometimes mean that prosecutors will put all sorts of circumstances in front of the judge that they didn't charge, or sometimes that the person was even acquitted by, and the judge can make you know acquitted because the standard is so high, and the judge can make a finding by a preponderance, like, hey, I'm January sixth isn't in front of me, but I care about it anyway, um, and I'm going to take that into account. It, it probably won't work that way in Manhattan. I mean, from what I'm hearing from my friends uh, in Manhattan, is that this is the sort of case that often would not get a prison sentence in New York. But that was my
0: understanding.
1: Yeah. But it, nonetheless, I don't. You know, I don't think even there the the number of counts would drive things because prosecutors can play so many games with the number of counts.
0: By the way, fun fact, um, and I know this from a talk that I gave on uh, you know the relationship between uh, the prosecutorial function and the executive branch is that since 2000, former leaders in Seventy-six different countries have been prosecuted or jailed.
1: Wow. That is a fun fact. I thought you were gonna you're gonna tell me something about pancake committing fraud. So it's
0: uh. No, he commits fraud. <laughs> it's it's just an ongoing fraud scheme over here. Um uh, to get treats. But
1: <laughs> um but in all seriousness, no, that is that is something.
0: That's I thought that was an interesting thing. And I, I posted it on Twitter. It's an interesting map. Um and it includes democracies, like France and South Korea. So it was just an interesting thing, because I know that people are like, this is a third world country. Um, You know, and it's not necessarily true. I think it's a matter of perspective. It's also a a place where rule of law is upheld, you know, and no one's above the law.
1: One hundred percent. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, you know, if you're not, if you're not prosecuted, in, let's say Russia, that, that could just mean that, <laughs> you know, that, that could just mean that they don't you know, that that it's it's totally acceptable there. Right. Um, Or, mm-hmm. you know, no one gets brought to justice. So, no, I think it's a good thing. I will say it was it's been it was funny for me to see Rod Blagojevich on Fox News last night. Uh, Defending Trump, the guy who had, I think, what did he commute his sentence? Uh, But you know, a guy who I literally watched him uh, on trial. But you know, he was he shook down a children's hospital and did all sorts of dastardly things, um, and was prosecuted and convicted here in Illinois. And by the way, there's like a huge public corruption trial right now going on in Chicago. And I'll just say that you know, put you know, Trump. One thing: the reason I'm mentioning that. Is because Trump is not, does not stand alone as the only corrupt person here. And what's at stake in terms of our system is much greater than just Trump. And one point that I've tried to make to people is that what Trump is doing to try to suggest that the mm-hmm. system is rigged, that the system is wrong, that the system doesn't work, which fraudsters uh, like Rod Bogojevich are fine jump latching onto, um, is. It hurts all of us, regardless of your political orientation or nothing else, because that is what polices our system. That's what makes us not a third world country: is having people being able to be brought to justice, uh, no matter how powerful they are, whether they're the governor or the president.
0: I'm so glad you bring that up because I wrote a piece a while back when he was on his pardon spree, where I said, "Take a look at the crimes that he pardons," because it gives you a window into how how much contempt he has for the rule of law and for due process. His first pardon was, I think, Joe Arpeo, who he pardoned for, you know, who had been convicted, criminal contempt of court. Um, this is for defying the court's authority. Um, later, pardons were, you know, Scooter Libby, obstruction of justice, people who make false statements, Um all of these people who try to thwart the integrity of the functioning of the justice system which i think he he hates those rules right and and it was denigrated as these are just process crimes the process crimes are what make what allow this whole system to function the substantive stuff you know we we matter too but if if you can't make sure that um people don't lie, that they obey the authority of the court, that they don't tamper with witnesses, um, that they don't destroy evidence, you're never going to be able to bring those cases in the end. Um, and I think it's just really interesting. I just mentioned that because you mentioned Rob, uh, Rod Blagojevich, um, because he was another one that I think really gave, a, a, was a psychological window um, for Trump.
1: Yeah. He, by the way, was very Trumpy in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he was somebody who made tons of public statements while well, he was in his criminal case. In fact, he used to joke every time he appeared on a late night talk show, he would get a videotape from my colleagues of his appearance as uh, evidence in the case. And he also, um, was, so, you know, somebody who came in and tried to talk his way out of it. And actually one of his, his first crime of conviction in his first trial was on false statements. Uh, was yep. a, it was a process, what you, what Trump has called a process crime, right? Um, because he, you know, he was willing to go in and try to lie to the FBI in order to get out.
0: Oh, lying to Congress, Roger Stone.
1: Yeah, there you go. And Pardon yeah. him
0: for that. So he's, he's all, and it's a signal also for people who are in his circle, like you help me out and I'll make sure you're okay. Of course, that's not going to help him in the New York case, but.
1: Yeah, well speaking of helping out, um I I thought it was interesting uh you know I'm sure you saw uh, Asha the um statement by Ron DeSantis Ron DeSantis that they're not you know he's not Florida's not going to help get him out if if Trump doesn't go up to Manhattan we're we're not helping uh the the state of New York get him up there, right? Um
0: Yeah, and people were like what does this mean? Um and you know, does that mean that marshals are going to have to go down and you know, will he be a fugitive from justice? Um But I think, first of all, he's going to surrender himself. So I think this is a very convenient way for Ron DeSantis to make a lot of big, bold claims that he's not going to have to back up with action. Second, he's required by the Constitution to present Trump if New York requests it. And he's been, you know, indicted by due process and all of that. Um, but third, my, okay, if we, we might as well imagine the hypothetical, uh, the legal hypothetical since, you know, with Trump, you never know, it could come to pass. My thought was that the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction for, um, disputes between states and that in such a case, New York could go directly to the Supreme Court and ask for a writ of mandamus, which is an order from the court. Directing the state of Florida to deliver Trump—that's what I think would happen.
1: Yeah, and that sounds about right. You're, you, it's something you've thought more about than me. I mean, one thing I do know is for sure is that, uh, very practically, that there's there's no way that Cal uh, that uh, Florida would be able to do that legally, just for the reasons you said in the Constitution. I one thing I you know my my take on it was that, like you said, Ron DeSantis is trying to make himself the center of attention trying to get a headline Mm -hmm. for himself in something like you said, that he would never have to do. And Trump would never want to put him in that position. Trump would not want to have uh, the The
0: limelight go to somebody else.
1: Right. And the narrative be that he's hiding. In Florida, yeah. protected yeah. by Ron DeSantis. Like he's oh a little boy under Ron DeSantis' protective wing. Like that's never going to happen. Um, and his lawyers would tell him like that. Maybe if that was a way out of it. Like if he could just chill out in Florida the rest of his life, uh, maybe. But that's that's not, um, yeah, that's, that's not the reality anyway. It's never going to happen.
0: Yeah. I wish the Lincoln Project would come out with a quick ad calling him Wimpy Don. Wimpy Don needs Ron to help him and protect him. That would drive him nuts, I think.
1: <laughs> Probably, uh, which is why- He'd be what, on a jet
0: to New York like tomorrow.
1: Yeah, right. But that, that you know, one thing that people have asked is like how all of that works. I and mean, we should just kind of circle back to that a little bit. I mean, it is not at all unusual, the fact that um, he is, you know, still a free man and out there and there's conversations between him and his attorneys to figure out when he's going to report and, you know, he'll just show up for his court date, not in handcuffs, but in a suit. Like that's all very normal. And that's just how things, how things roll. We've talked a little bit about that in the past, but uh the questions are, are escalating on that front now that it's reality. Uh Well, by the way, one thing I'm curious about Asha, I have, I have been seeing for days, weeks now, Lots of people in my comments saying like, oh, this is never going to really happen. You know, indictments never actually happen. So what happens to those people? Like, do they uh, have they do they like suddenly change their tune?
0: I know. I felt like bookmarking. Yeah, some of those and coming back. I don't know. I think they just moved the goalpost and they're like, he'll never be convicted. He'll never go to trial before the election. You know, it's always they're They're the um, the Eeyore reply guys like you know downers yeah on everything
1: uh in terms of being a downer i do think this is a very difficult day to beat donald trump um none of you should envy him um this is not a good thing there's no way to spin it is like this is a, a great development for him certainly legally it's a disaster um and it is going to be a very difficult process ahead and we'll be here to follow it
0: yeah and I'll just add, if I could give my closing thoughts, that you know i'm I'm happy that he is being held to account because we've watched a lot of stuff happen over the last six years. But in a lot of ways, this is sad. You know, we have as a country, truly tried to avoid being in this situation. and even after uh, Nixon stepped down, Ford, in considering whether to pardon Nixon, really thought about what it would put the country through to have Nixon face criminal charges and go through that trial. And um, you know, it's I think we have a long road ahead, um, just as a country to, you know, as this process unfolds. And in that way, I don't think that it is. You know a happy time
1: yeah and I'm concerned about the impact that it has and how people view the justice system in the long run which is so important not just for cases like this one but for all cases all across the country where we're trying to bring people to justice including corrupt politicians <laughs> So Asha uh, While we've been focused Our eyes have been gazed on Manhattan Uh, It's sort of like you know
0: the The eye of Sauron. Yeah, Sauron's over here,
1: and then Frodo's like sneaking up, okay, so Frodo, Frodo's sneaking up, and he's doing, he's the, the actual threat is like coming from a different, a different uh, angle. Up
0: the back of the hill, yeah. There
1: you go, so in the back of the hill, you know, Jack, Jack Smith is trying to get Mark, you know, Mark Meadows to the, uh, to lava pit or whatever, uh, so, Uh, If he
0: can toss Mark Meadows, who's Gollum in this situation? (laughs) Tell me it's Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, right. Or, or or, yeah, maybe it's Alan Dershowitz. Like, ah. Anyway, (laughs) um, so uh, in any event, um, uh, in all seriousness, um, uh, you know, there's a very important ruling. In Jack Smith's special counsel investigation, which I think is pretty consequential, very much expected, which is an executive privilege ruling that said that all of these top presidential aides, including Mark Meadows, can testify before the grand jury. There's an override of the executive privilege claims that were raised by Trump and by those individuals, I think, on his behalf. It's important because, you know, the chief of staff is always the gatekeeper to the president. But with this president in particular, uh, there was some great testimony on this from Cassidy Hutchinson to the January 6th committee, because she worked for Mark Meadows, about how Trump didn't use texts and emails. And so everyone was contacting Mark Meadows to get to Trump. And so Mark Meadows really knows everything that was going on here. And in many ways, if he was forced to testify and be honest, uh, he really could bury Trump potentially.
0: Yes. Yeah. He is in the center of my coup chart. Oh, um, wow. Mm-hmm.
1: For people who, ha- who, are, who are listening to this like while they're driving or working out and they're like, What's the coup? what is a coup chart? Can you please explain that?
0: Well, I made this hub and spoke chart with all of the different pieces of the January 6th conspiracy, really. Um, and kind of all of these things that are happening at the same time and, you know, why they really all emanate from this middle, the hub is Mark Meadows and John Eastman. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that what you're saying, and because what we, we're, we are talking about a conspiracy and a conspiracy is an agreement, it's why these communications become so important. And, you know, I'm actually thinking about doing an executive privilege chart, maybe like as a board game where you land. Yeah. Well, you land on a square and it's like, are you the president? No, you can't claim executive (laughs) privilege. Go directly to the courthouse. You know, like, you know, does this concern core Article two functions? No, this is about a presidential campaign. Go directly to the courthouse. So, um, you know, I think that in that way, like Mark Meadows. And all these other people, you know, Trump tries to use these privileges, um, these these cones of silence, I call them, whether it's attorney-client privilege, executive privilege, where he thinks he's going to be protected in these communications. Um, And so, as you said, it's very significant because this is really uh, piercing that veil of secrecy and getting to what was being said and who said what to whom and what was being agreed upon.
1: Yeah, it's it's very, very interesting um and I think one thing that I'm very um curious about is what is Mark Meadows doing. So, you know, we talked about how Trump's got these like oddball attorneys or people who are definitely not within the mainstream. Um that Mark Meadows is not in that same camp. Mark Meadows has a really good attorney, um very savvy white-collar criminal attorney which which really is interesting because that person's going to be thinking about it the way I am. Okay, he's going to be thinking about this as sort of he's he's playing chess. Uh, uh, Meadows' attorney. It's just by the way why Meadows didn't get charged for contempt of Congress, right? He, you know, that lawyer I think positioned that very carefully. So you know, if you're in, if you're, you know, if you're the on Team Meadows and you're you've you're a smart lawyer, you're thinking to yourself like, well, okay, he's got to testify, but I'm going to assert the Fifth. And then what does Jack Smith do? What's Jack Smith's move? Jack Smith could give him immunity, use immunity, and force him to testify. Separately, you could strike some sort of deal with Smith on the front end and say, okay, my guy will testify, but I want immunity in exchange for his testimony. I want like letter immunity, which is where there's a letter agreeing that my office, the special counsel's office, is going to prosecute you. Or what I'll call, tra- what we sometimes call transactional immunity, where you go to a court and the court's like, no one can prosecute you for what you say. That is the end game I would want if I was the guy, which I'm not, representing Meadows. Uh, and Meadows' attorney is very capable. He's thinking a lot of the same things. Generally, that is a win for a client. Immunity is like... Uh, my, you know, my clients are very happy to pay my bills if that's the end result. Right. That's good. But um, for Meadows, that may be bad because that may end his career in Republican politics. So it'll be interesting. There's very unusual circumstances at play here that uh, might might mean that Meadow wants Meadows wants to, you know, take the fifth, be compelled to testify and then say very little and be combative in the in the grand jury. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he is really at the epicenter of of this, and he, I would think, is very likely to have criminal liability of his own.
1: (laughs) Oh, Meadows, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, that's that's why uh, asserting the fifth is an obvious choice for him, is that if Jack Smith's clearly going after Trump, and whatever Trump did, whatever criminal liability Trump had Very likely Meadows was part of that because he was working with Trump and aiding Trump and agreeing to do things with Trump. And so it's it's possible that Meadows didn't, but it's 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 it would be a hard it would be hard to imagine that Meadows wouldn't get caught up in that. Because when you know about criminal activity and you help to make it succeed in some way, you're, that you are guilty of that same crime. And so Meadows, of course, was his whole job was helping Trump do things. And it didn't, based on the accounts we heard in the January 6th committee, including from Cassidy Hutchinson, it sure didn't seem like Mark Meadows was pushing back on anything. At best, he was sort of like, passive, like just sort of watching it all happen, drinking his whiskey um, or whatever. I mean, I'm just metaphorically, of course. Um, but, you know, it's also very likely uh, that he was helping Trump in some way, given his position and his role.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony uh, suggested that he was actually in contact with people in the so-called war room. These yes. Were like Steve Bannon and Giuliani. And those guys were much more intimately connected with the people who were showing up that day, um, mm-hmm. including many of the people who became violent. And so there he's also a potential conduit to what did they know in advance about the violence that was going to take place, the, the, the premeditated violence.
1: Yeah. In a criminal case like this, what are the best – uh, situations you could be in as a person who didn't really know much. When if the, if you were around <laughs> criminal activity while it was afoot and you really were not clued in, like you just happened to be at the drive-in when the drug deal was going down or something like that, um, that's fine. But like if if you're super clear clued in on everything, that's generally a bad thing for you. And that's the unfortunate position that Meadows is in, and he's also in an unfortunate position where you know where one of the people who is closest to him has really put out her testimony in a very comprehensive way. And I think she's quite credible. She has a lot less at stake. And I just think a jury would find her very credible. And that puts Meadows in a tough spot because she's not sort of coordinating her story with him or anything like that either. And so he's he's definitely in a challenging position. I think it's so fascinating. I think this is a really interesting situation. And and
0: let's not forget that, uh, speaking of cones of silence, you know, John Eastman already, you know, a judge ruled that he had to turn over his uh, emails and communications that he had asserted were protected by attorney-client privilege. Um, and uh, he he is under Jack Smith's microscope also. And I, you know, both of those two are central players in this.
1: Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, and of course, we also had the recent, yes. I mean, uh, it's crazy to me that you had two attorneys, both have, the crime fraud exception um, invoked to get their communications mm. with Trump. I mean, that I literally have never seen a prosecutor. The other act.
0: one, the other one Renato's referring to is Evan Corcoran in the Mar a Lago case.
1: Right. And I <laughs> think did we discussed that in the last podcast? We did discuss
0: it last week, but just in case people. Can't keep track of all of the lawyers <laughs> that are also crippled.
1: Yes, or you didn't listen last week's last week's episode worth listening to. But yeah, I. If, I've never seen that in my career, and literally, I've, I ever, I've been talking a lot of, ever since this happened. That this has been like a topic of chatter amongst criminal defense attorneys. We're all like, "Yeah, prosecutors talk about it, but they never actually do it." So difficult, and so it's just—it is crazy. And yeah, I do. Uh, we we still don't know a hundred percent what's in those emails, right, between Eastman and Trump. So it could be very interesting stuff. There clearly stuff that that moved Judge Carter quite a
0: bit. So, Renato, before we go, I know that Pancake has been, you know, making his cameos, um, but we haven't seen a lot of Henry. What's happening with him?
1: Well, Henry is almost not a puppy. Okay. He is like getting close to two years and he is changing. I mean, he is becoming a little man. So, Henry's all business now um like oh. henry, henry comes into my office he wants to get a pet and then he dashes off like he's got a business meeting to go to he's got something <laughs> else to do I, I don't know if anyone else has a dog <laughs> like this but my dog is like very busy okay so he's like you know he'll be playing with me and then he'll run downstairs because he's got to see what's going on making sure that, like no one's attacking our home then, then he runs back up like you know he's he's got a lot going on so henry is occasionally present but he's you know, unless there's some treat involved or something like that, like he's he's got he's got a lot of angles that he's working. So I I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. My wife's kind of sad because he's not like her little puppy anymore. Um, uh, I think it's great. He's like a little man. Like he's 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 he, we're going to just him following as a businessman. He's definitely. I love that. So what business. happens
0: when what what happens when he grows up? What does he want to be when he grows up? Uh,
1: it's a good question. I, I do think. Um, I do think that no matter, uh, treats are definitely involved in some way, um, but he, he's he, he's definitely, he could, I think I could see him as a criminal defense attorney. He's like very, he's yeah. very sly and he's very, uh, he's very persuasive, uh, uh-huh. very good at getting his own And he's got that way. kind
0: of down home look to, you know, get this, the jury sympathy, you know.
1: Yes. He's totally. Like, I'm just o- one of y'all. Yes. He's totally worked over my wife, who's sort of like the abused younger associate who follows him to court. So she, he basically (laughs) follows her around and like barks at her all day of things that he wants and whatever. So he works her over and then he occasionally has other angles. So, you know, he's like, Hmm, you know, okay, she's, she's out of treats or whatever, you know, whatever he's trying to get out of her. And so then he's trying to, you know, he's working over my stepdaughter or me or passersby or whatever he can get, to try to uh, work out his situation, but very, uh, very crafty dog.
0: Yeah. I've seen pictures of Henry and um, if he were making an argument, I would completely believe anything.
1: There you go. There you go. He's ready to ready for his own law practice. (laughs)
0: MSW Media.